bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow followers of Jesus in the company of the Wesleys all over the world. We uh, are a big family. We're a big family. Over 80 million of us follow Jesus Christ in the company of the Wesleys. And I'm just excited to be a part of a community that serves God so faithfully. It's just wonderful, wonderful uh, to be here with you. Before I begin, I need to center myself. Uh, so if you'll pray with me. Gracious God, take the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and shape them and mold them and make them exactly as you want them to be. And then firmly place me behind your cross so that the word that's heard this morning belongs only to you and the spirit that moves among us is indeed your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now the vision... Uh, of World Methodist Evangelism, that's, that's the organization that I have just uh, become a part of recently. Our vision is that the world may know Jesus Christ. It's simple, <laughs> that the world may know Jesus Christ. And as we move forward in that vision and, and try to claim that vision, the passage from 2 Timothy is a huge banner for us. It's what we walk underneath. Because we are about empowering and equipping and enabling Christ followers to do the work of an evangelist. To do the work of an evangelist. And the, the New Living Translation uh, says we're about to be about the work of bringing others to Christ. And I like the way it's phrased there because that makes it sound like it, it's everybody's job, not just clergy's job. And that's the fact. It's everyone's job. If you follow Jesus, you need to be about the work of sharing your faith in him to others. So that's what we are all about, empowering people to carry out their ministry fully. Now, with that vision in mind, I, I, I found it pretty interesting to read a lecture uh, on public policy that was given by this secular scholar and writer named Charles Murray. It was called the happiness of the people. And, and when Murray talked about happiness in this lecture, he wasn't talking about something fleeting, you know, like the, like the happiness you might experience when, um, for me, it would be when Manchester United beats Chelsea, which hasn't happened in a long, long time. But it's not that kind of fleeting kind of happiness. He was talking about lasting satisfaction, happiness that, that's deeper and transcendent. And he asserted that when it comes to society and to culture, there are only four things that contribute to deep, lasting happiness. Family, community, vocation, and faith. Faith. Here's a secular scholar lecturing on public policy, and he says that faith is one of the few things that's crucial to deep happiness, to human flourishing. Now, that's not news to us. I hope that's not 
that's not news to you, but in our day, uh, in our day, in our culture, it's kind of nice to get a little bit of confirmation of that from someone outside of the church. At least it feels good to me. But there's more. There's more. Murray said that we're at a pivotal time in history. And do you know what he said we need? He said we need a great awakening. A great awakening. This secular scholar said that the United States needs something like a great awakening. Now, we know something about great awakenings, don't we? Or at least we, we used to. <laughs> at least we used to. So we're at a pivotal time in history, and some really smart people are saying we need a great awakening. Things are uncertain. No one seems to know what's going to happen in the future. You know, what will happen if Congress dismantles the Affordable Care Act? You know, which American city is going to explode next? You know, where is ISIS uh, going to strike? Actually, ISIS just did strike. And what are we, what are we going to do about it? So it's a nerve-wracking time in history, but here is the important thing for us to remember especially as people of faith. If we're going to live more fully into our responsibility as evangelists, we need to remember that the context of all this uncertainty is history. And history implies past, present, and future. And we, of all people, have something to say about the future. We, of all people, have something vital to say about the future. We've got something vital to say about the future because the future that we hope for isn't just about tinkering with the here and now, even though that's important. The future we hope for involves a complete overhaul from the foundations up. You know, the ultimate healing of all of creation, humans, nature, the entire universe. As Christians, we're people of hope. We're people of hope, living in the light cast by the resurrection. So that means we interpret or should interpret everything in our world in terms of the surprising and unexpected future made known in the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So our hope isn't in human progress, it's in God the Father who sent the Son into the world through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring salvation in all its dimensions, the reconciliation of all things, the fullness of the kingdom. And that's good news. That's good news. Come on now. That's smile, laugh. It is. It's good news. It ought to be exuding from you. It's good news. The problem is we've got this great news, but it's as though we're living in a perpetual Easter Saturday. And Easter Saturday is a day scripture doesn't tell us anything about. It's an in-between day. It's an in-between day. Now, we just passed Easter Saturday, and I'm pretty sure that very few of you actually celebrated it. I mean, you may have done some Sunday-oriented things on Saturday. You made a may have had an Easter egg hunt for, for your kids or something, but you didn't actually celebrate 
Saturday. That's because it's an in-between day. It's an in-between day. On one side is the horror of Good Friday. On the other side is the glory of Easter Sunday. But Easter Saturday sits right in the middle and nary a word of scripture about it. And that's the situation that we find ourselves in as we seek to say a hopeful word about the future. As we seek to claim our place as evangelists and carry out our ministry fully, we're in between, in our cultures, but not of them, committed to a kingdom that's here, but not yet here. Anthropologists call it liminality. Liminality, it literal, that word literally means threshold. And they use uh, the word to talk about rituals, you know, and, and the disorientation that can occur in the middle stage of any ritual when, when people, they leave their pre-ritual state, but they haven't quite made the transition to the status that they're going to hold when the ritual is complete. And so during the, the ritual's liminal stage, participants stand at the threshold between their previous way of being and their new way of being. Now for me, liminality doesn't just describe a particular ritual. It describes my entire experience of being Christian. And as Christians, I think, you know, we're on our way, but we're not quite there yet. We're on our way, but we're not quite there yet. We're in between. And in between, it just isn't the most comfortable place to be. In between. That's why people do all kinds of things to try to make themselves feel more settled when they're in between. You know, when the first followers of, of Jesus found themselves in between, you know what they did? They drew lots to figure out who would replace Judas. Now, that's not a bad thing necessarily, but that's not one of the most memorable moments in the whole book of Acts. You know, when, when Tsarist Russia was in between with, with unrest and disquiet rumbling all over the land, Lenin and his followers, they were plotting revolution. But around the corner, there was a meeting of priests, and they were debating whether or not the chasuble ought to have buttons. And if it ought to have buttons, how many buttons ought it have? Now, that's, that's not a bad thing to debate, you know, but whether or not there are buttons on a chasuble is not usually the first thing we remember when we think of Russia in 1917. So in between this can be uncomfortable. But I believe it can be one of our greatest strengths. But to tap into that strength, we've got to revive our theological imagination. Now, committing ourselves to the work of an evangelist and carrying out our ministry fully, it isn't about offering people a spiritual escape hatch. It's about reviving our theological imaginations so that people can see a glimmer of what's to come. It's about being today what God intends for all of creation in the future. Now, a sad reality uh, of our human condition is that, that the horror and tragedy and loss, all of those things are, are about as much a, a part of, of life as fulfillment and, and achievement. Sometimes they're even more a part of life. But one of the strengths of our story is that 
all the horror and tragedy and loss, they're always fully acknowledged and never ignored. That's because our story is a story of redemption. The redemption of all creation, all history. All the failure, all the wickedness, all the evil, suffering and death, it's all been redeemed. And the cross of Jesus where he experienced the agony of a God-forsaken death, the cross of Jesus isn't just some stage in an upward movement of progress. It's a descent. It's a descent into the depths of the human condition in order to bring God into those depths. So we don't edit out the cross. We don't edit that out of our story, and that's why we can never edit out the victims or gloss over the horrors. Instead, when we proclaim the story of the cross, we proclaim God's loving solidarity with all who suffer, and we offer hope. We offer hope for a time when God will wipe away every tear from every eye and take God's entire creation beyond the reach of evil. So doing the work of an evangelist and caring, about, caring out our ministry fully is about living in the light cast by the resurrection. It's about identifying and proclaiming all of those scattered acts of recreative anticipation of God's promised future. It's about identifying and proclaiming to the world that the same spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, calls into life, health, faith, hope, calls into being all those things in places where there's no capacity for them, you know, and no accounting for them. All those liminal anticipations that are in the world but not of it, they're in between, just like us. But they point to God and God's future. But it's not just about calling attention to all of this. It's about becoming involved with God's spirit in all that God is doing. It's about being a part of God's work to create the genuine presence of the new in the midst of the old. And for most of us, that's going to require learning new things and hearing new voices and, and experiencing new experiences. In March, we held our first Order of the Flame conference. Uh, World Methodist Evangelism provides uh, a time away for young clergy, and it's a time of spiritual refreshment and learning. And the whole family gathers. The whole family gathers, so it's amazingly diverse. It's organically diverse is the way I like to think of it. Men and women, different ethnicities, different traditions, different worship and preaching styles, different, even different church organizational structures. There's so much diversity, you, you can't believe it. And it's amazing how many different ways there are to view the world. How many different ways there are to view the world when the whole family gathers. And it was an amazing experience because God's Holy Spirit showed up and began to move. And when that happened, this diverse just group of all kinds of different people became a microcosm in the present of what God intends for the future. 
Remember, we live in the light cast by the resurrection, so our hope is not in future human progress. It's in God the Father who sent the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring salvation in all its dimensions, the reconciliation of all things, all people, the fullness of the kingdom. And as we shared our meals together and our lives with one another, as we prayed for each other and laid hands on each other and called upon the power of the Holy Spirit to work in the lives of the others, God did not disappoint. And we embodied in the present what God intends for the future. Now, I know we all hope that, that that's going to happen in our own denominations and in our own local churches. I know that, but more often than not, when we go back to those locations, in those contexts, we tend to view the world through the same lens, for better or for worse. We view it from the same lens. But gathered together in that context as a family who all follow Jesus in the company of the Wesleys, we became more than the sum of our parts. We became more than the sum of our parts, and God began to fashion the genuine presence of the new in the midst of the old. But like most things, the, the process isn't easy. The refiner's fire is always hot, and we all had to return home. We all had to return home, back to Easter Saturday, back to in-between, back to a world filled with voices that are used to being heard and voices that remain muffled. Back to a world where experiences and perspectives that are assumed to be the norm are still foreign to many, many people. In the days following the order of the flame, I realized that I don't want to stay on the threshold. I don't want to be on the threshold. I don't want to be a liminal person. I don't want to be on my way, but not quite there yet. I want to get there now. I want to be there now. I want God's new to be the world's norm. I want God's new to be the world's norm. But then I realized that the only way that was going to happen was if I embraced my liminality. And I began to learn a new language. I realized that in an in-between age, we need to be able to speak an in-between language. We all need to be able to speak an in-between language. We need to raise up leaders who can speak an in-between language. And that's going to be difficult for some of us, like me especially. I speak a pretty dominant language. And I'm not talking about English. You know, when I'm walking and I happen to venture into the street because the sidewalk is obstructed, the police are not likely to body slam me to the ground for jaywalking like they did to my African-American sister who is a professor at Arizona State University. If my son is ever arrested, I will be incredibly upset and worried and probably angry. But the idea that he might die while in police custody is probably not going to cross my mind. I have precious little practice living in any other culture than the dominant white culture into which I was born. It's a fact. It's true. It's not my fault that it's that way. But as a Christ follower, it is my responsibility not to stay that way. 
I need to be bilingual. I need to hear the voices of other liminal Christians, Christ followers who are already in between, who are already straddling more than one culture, whether those cultures be defined by ethnicity or language or ability or citizenship status or any other category. If we're going to embody the presence of God's new creation in the midst of the old, we have to become in-between Christians, liminal Christ followers, Christ followers who can build bridges and become the threshold from one social setting to another. If we're going to embody the presence of God's new creation in the midst of the old, we have to raise up in between leaders, liminal leaders, leaders who can build bridges and be the threshold over which others can cross on their journey toward Christ. Only then will we be able to carry out our ministry fully. To do the work of an evangelist, to carry out our ministry fully, we must become a foretaste of God's intention for all the world. And we do that by building bridges into the lives of others, entering their pain and their suffering, sharing their joy and their celebration. We share the depths of the lives of, of others, and we share the depths of our faith with others. So we're called to be liminal Christians, liminal Christ followers, people who have a particular way of being in the world, a way that bridges culture, transcends culture, a way that refuses to submit to the lordship of the here and the now, a way that recognizes a different set of values and goals and sees a different purpose and end to the world than the one that the world is pointing to. Now I want you to look around the room and while you do, I want you to recall chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation. That's the, con, con, uh, the climax, and that's where we get the first gl fullest glimpse, I should say, of God's mission. You know, God's holy city descends to earth. It's not about souls ascending to heaven. God's holy city descends to earth, and John hears a loud voice saying, See? The home of God is among the people. He will dwell with them and they'll be his people. God will be right here in the midst of them and he'll wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. And why is all this going to happen? For the healing of the nations. For the healing of the nations. As I said when I began, world evangelism, our vision is that the world may know Jesus Christ. And you know why that's our vision? Because through the work of Jesus Christ, God, the God of all creation, is reconciling all things, reconciling all people, reconciling all nations. The mission of God is to bring all-encompassing reconciliation and healing to the whole of creation. This is the mission of God. This is the mission that God is accomplishing through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the mission to which we are called when we commit ourselves to doing the work of an evangelist and carrying out our ministry fully. Do we want people of all nations and all cultures to come to faith in Jesus as their Savior and Lord? Yeah. 
Let's do it loudly. Yes, of course we do. Yes, indeed, we do. We do. Then in this in-between time, if we do, in this in-between time, when we're on our way but not quite there yet, we got to be a foretaste of God's healing salvation. In this in-between time, we got to be a liminal people shaped from first to last by the call to be holy, to be different in the world, but not of it, proclaiming and demonstrating that Jesus is the renewer of the whole creation, the whole face of the earth, all dimensions of life. As evangelists, the salvation we proclaim is that big, and the news the news is that good. Amen. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we are in between. We're on our way, but not quite there yet. As we journey in that in-betweenness, we call on the power of your Holy Spirit to make us bridge builders to enable us to be the threshold across which people might go as they journey toward you. Make us channels of your powerful Holy Spirit that your kingdom might come. In Jesus' name, amen.